Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again for the second time on this day to join together to worship our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here this afternoon, especially to all those visitors who have joined us, but also those who have joined us via the live stream remotely. May the preaching of the gospel message this afternoon direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Savior Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Natasha Lewis has arrived with attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Bunbury and we warmly welcome this sister in our midst. Consistory as elders and deacons will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock in the consistory room. The funeral of our late brother John Jansen is scheduled for Wednesday the 29th of March, that's this Wednesday week. So the Lord wills it and we live. The graveside service will be held at 10 o'clock in the morning at the Rockingham Regional Memorial Park, after which we will be comforted by the word of God at 11.30 a.m. in this church building. Like this morning, this afternoon, we may welcome to the pulpit again our own minister, Reverend Poppy. But before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from hymn 23, verse 5 and 6. Hymn 23, 5 and 6. Please rise and let's worship the Lord.
as God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing together from, him, from Psalm 84, the verses 5 and 6. first verses of Psalm 105, we're encouraged, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. We have the opportunity to, to glorify God and to also declare his wondrous works, and we're going to do so this afternoon in the articles of our Confession Faith as we've summarized that in hymn one.
Let's now pray to God. Actually, wait for one second again. Let's pray to God and let's ask him for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, once again this afternoon we come before your throne of grace. Such a privilege, Lord, that we're able to do so. You're the Almighty God. You're glorious and powerful and majestic. You're seated on the throne in heaven. You have millions of angels who are gathered around your throne. They come to report to you of the things they do on earth. They take your orders and they go and they fulfill the calling that you've given to them. They love to serve you because you are the Lord and they love to be in your presence. And yet even though you're so powerful and majestic, you're willing to listen to us. And you're willing to allow us to come into your presence. Father, thank you for being our God. And thank you that we may be your people. And thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. That you sent your son to redeem us. To take us to yourself. To reveal yourself to us. And to draw us near. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. You've opened your heart to us. You've bound yourself to us in a covenant relationship. And we thank you that we may live as your children. Father, we confess that we love you. We love you very much for who you are and for what you've done for us. It's a great joy to, to come before you, to hear what you have to say to us, and to express our gratitude to you for the riches of your grace. Please bless us now in the time that we have together. Grant that we may open your word and that we may learn from you about the nature that you have and about the things that you've done for us in Christ. And grant that we grow in love for you, that we respond with song and with gratitude. Please fill us with your spirit. Please hear us. We pray in the forgiveness of our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach to you the word of God as we... Confess it in the first Lord's Day, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong in body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In connection with that, I'd like to first read with you from Scripture. We're going to read together from John 15, the first 11 verses. So I invite you to open your Bible, John 15. You can find that on page 1071 of your guest Bible. John 15, starting at verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father, by this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So far the reading of God's word, let's now sing together from hymn 64, the verses 1 and 2. Sisters, we just sang the rhymed version of Lord's Day One, 
Now we get to, to read the, the text version. This afternoon we'll consider what is our only comfort, and we'll do so by looking at what the church has summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 1. You can find that on page 517 of your book of praise. There the question asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. After the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 52, verses 1 and 5. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that we all long for as God's people is to have a close and an intimate relationship with our God. Our soul yearns to be near God, where the Lord opens his heart to us, where he reveals himself to us, where we walk in intimate fellowship together with him, and where we have this, this life where Everything we are and everything we do is something that we share with the Lord. We just had a, a new members class a couple of weeks ago, Wednesday evening, and we were talking about exactly this thing. We are reflecting on how all of us are in a different place in our journey with God. And it was striking then, one of the new members, he reflected with us and he says, it seems that some of you have a more intimate walk of faith with God than I do. And it led to a delightful conversation. What does it take? How do you get there to have a more intimate relationship with God? Well, it's a question that, that we've all struggled with at different times. And it's really interesting how we answer that. And one of the most common answers is that we go back to the scriptures. We tell ourselves if we have a really intimate devotional life with God, if we spend time reading the scriptures and studying the Bible, if we pray to the Lord, then that's the means by which we'll grow close to God. And so oftentimes we do that. We spend time in the word and we read the scriptures and we, we seek to have this kind of fellowship with God. And it's a really beautiful thing. It's one of the, the primary ways in which the Lord does draw us into intimate fellowship together with him. And yet the sad thing is that sometimes the Lord is still not as near as we would love to have him. And then there's others, they put more emphasis on a life of service. They pursue a life of service. Whatever you do for the poor, for the hungry, you do for Christ. And so they're busy serving their brothers and sisters, and they're busy doing whatever they can, being of service to the people around them. 
And yet they also find is that sometimes, despite all the busyness, that sometimes they still have this, this hunger for God, for more intimacy. Or there's others who, who seek closeness with God and really experience that, have experienced that at times in a very close emotional connection with God. And so sometimes what happens is that people seek that emotional connection. They, they know times and places where they've had that, and so then they try to put themselves in those situations to experience that again. And so sometimes that's in moments of outreach where you get to share the gospel with others. That can lead to, to great closeness with God. Or other times it's through singing. You have certain songs that you love to sing, and when you sing those songs, that really establishes a close emotional connection with God. Sometimes it's being with other people who are really grateful to God and whose lives are full of gratitude and service. It's, it can be a really powerful thing. You're in a big church or you're in a convention center and with, you're with hundreds and thousands of people who are worshiping God. And so sometimes those are means that we try to use to experience closeness together with God. And yet still, it can happen that between the highs that there's still times where God seems so distant. And so they wonder what they're doing wrong. Well, how do you find intimacy, brothers and sisters? You know, each of these things is good in their own way. Each of these things are a part of it. Reading the word is central. You know, spending time in devotion is, is really important. Living a life of service is very important. And having times where your heart is open to God and in great love for him, and being together with his people and experiencing that together, that's a really important thing. And yet, what stands underneath of it, and what's really at the heart of it all, is having union with Christ. Intimacy with God is found through union with Christ. The core of being a Christian is being found in Christ. You know, that's the crux of the matter. Because you can do devotions, but if you do your, if you do your devotions, and if it's not focused on knowing who you are in Christ, and knowing what God has done for you in Christ, then many times it feels like something's missing. And you can, you can sing. You can do acts of service. You can be very busy in a Christian life doing all sorts of other things. But if the core of those experiences are not the fact that you're seeking to serve Christ and you're seeking to walk with Christ, then many times there's still something missing. And so the really the core of the matter is building your life on Christ. And it's on finding, or it's on when Christ is formed in you. And you know, that's not a new idea. That's really what our confession says here. What is your only comfort in life and death? Where do you find your only, not just your greatest, but your only comfort? It's found in belonging to Jesus Christ. It's found in having union with him, where he is your God and you are his people. Well, consider what it means with this theme, belonging to Christ is the greatest gift in the world. We'll see in the first place our life in Christ, and secondly, our life for Christ. So why do I say that having union with Christ stands at the heart of an intimate life with God? 
It's because that's what the Bible says. If you read through the New Testament, it says more than 150 times in the New Testament that we are in Christ. And if you, if you read through what the scripture actually says about that, there's a couple of places where it talks about being in Christ. It's another way of saying that you're a Christian. So the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, he writes a letter to the church of Corinth and he ends off with some personal greetings for some of the people in Corinth. And what does he say? He ends off, he calls Priscilla and Aquila his fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And he greets them. Or he greets Urbanus, who is a fellow worker in the Lord. Well, you, if you introduce somebody, you could say he's a Christian. Or another way of saying it is that you could say that he is in Christ. But then the Bible shows that there's far more to being in Christ than just being called a Christian. Now, being in Christ means that you have a personal relationship with Christ. We just read together from John 15, in the verses 4 and 5, that the Lord Jesus Christ says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Christ says, you need to abide in me. You need to enjoy a close and a growing relationship together with me. And it's really quite striking when you, when you pay attention to what the Bible says about the intimacy of that relationship that we can have with Christ. Maybe I could ask you that question. How close is your relationship to Christ? How intimate? If you were to tell another person about who Christ is to you and about what kind of relationship you have together with him, how would you describe that to somebody else? If you read some of the imagery in the Bible, the Lord uses a bunch of different metaphors to describe how close he is to us. One of them is in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. There Paul says that we're part of Christ's body. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually, you're members of it. And in Romans 12, verse 4 and 5, he explains that. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members of one another. We're one body in Christ. We're members of Christ. If you want to know what kind of intimacy you have with Christ, you have the intimacy that an arm has with the rest of the body, that the body has with the head. You have a profound closeness with Christ. Well, Paul uses an even more intimate metaphor. When referring to the statement in Genesis 2 that husband and wife are one flesh, he says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7, 6, verse 17, he says, but he who unites himself to the Lord is one with him in spirit. Well, what's more intimate than the relationship between a husband and wife? God says that's the nature of the relationship that he has with us. He is one with us in spirit. There's a deep personal intimacy of love between Christ and those who are in Christ. And then if it's possible, he uses even a more intimate image. And that's in John 17. 
and his high priestly prayer. In John 17, 21, Christ prays for his people that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. He says, Father, I pray that they may be one, and I pray that as you are in me and as I am in you, so may they be in us. So what Christ is saying here is he's saying, he's asking that the intimacy that the Father and the Son have in the, in the Trinity of God, that that may be the kind of intimacy that we have with Christ. But the Father and the Son, they have the most beautiful, loving, united, intimate relationship ever. In all eternity, they have loved one another. And they've worked together in unity in all, in all the history of the world. The Father, he has revealed all things to the Son. He has given the Son to have life in himself. He has given all judgment to the Son. He has, he has opened his heart to the Son. And the Son lives in the same intimate unity together with his Father. And now God says, he says, that's the kind of intimacy that I want with you. I'm your God. You are my people. And you can have that kind of closeness together with me. Well, if you're in Christ, brothers and sisters, then you get that closeness. And we have that closeness with God, then there's every manner of blessing that God gives you. It's in Ephesians 1, the Lord, he talks about that kind of intimacy that we may have with God. It's really interesting, in Ephesians 1, one of the, the core questions there that he addresses is the matter of our identity. We live in a time where so many people struggle with knowing their identity. What's your identity? Who are you really? In our society, it, it impinges that question upon us so that we have to, to seek to answer that. Well, there's people who, who've lost their father and mother, they're orphans, and sometimes they really struggle about their identity. Well, there's people who, who've been rejected by their family members, and they have a profound struggle trying to, to find out who they are and to find out where they fit. You know, sometimes it's a question that, that challenges us in different times and different ways in our life. You've been a loving mother for your whole life, and one day your kids move out of the house, and then you kind of ask yourself, well, who am I? That's been my identity. Or you've built up a business your whole life and you get to the stage that you need to, to retire and you sell the business and you're a bit at a loss. You know, who am I? And what, what's it all about? And what am I supposed to be doing here? Well, the great gift that God gives to us is that he answers this question on a most foundational level for us. Who am I? What's my identity? Well, I'm in Christ. I belong to him. My identity is in my relationship, the relationship I get to have with the most powerful, the most loving, the most beautiful person in the whole world. I am in Christ. And I get to have a relationship with him. It's in Ephesians 1 that Paul, he talks about that. He addresses the saints in Christ in Ephesus. That's how he addresses them to those who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about what that means for them. He has this beautiful chapter, I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago I preached on Ephesians 1. He has this beautiful chapter in which he talks about a number of different aspects of being in Christ. 
He says, first, he says that we are those who are chosen in him before the creation of the world. You're chosen in Christ for Christ's sake, because of Christ who Christ is. Because of your relationship with Christ, you're chosen. And then God says, in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus. For Christ's sake, you're adopted into the family of God. You belong to the family of God. What's your identity? Your identity is that you're part of God's family. That he's your father and that you're his son or daughter. If you ever find yourself in this situation where, where your parents have died, maybe you move away from your hometown, you move away from everyone who you know and love, you kind of wonder who you are and you kind of wonder where you're at. The Lord says, you're not abandoned. But he says, you're part of my family. I love you. You're my child. And I include you in my church family, wherever that may be. You belong. You belong to me. You belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to my people. Sometimes one of the greatest questions we struggle with is, is the issue of the guilt that we have over sin. We've committed sins. And we know that. And sin's a pretty powerful force in our life. It's a difficult place to be. And then the great gift of God that we have in Christ, is that Paul says, Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Christ gives you redemption. He forgives all your sins. There is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. He has set you free from all the power of the devil. Or again in verses 11 and following, Paul tells us about the last blessings we have in Christ. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. There's a glorious inheritance in store for us. And that's inheritance that's given to us in him. It's because of who Christ is and because of what he's done that he'll let us share in the eternal glory. Well, that's a gift that our, our brother Jansen received this past Friday. He was looking forward for quite a time to going home to be with the Lord. And he spent a lot of time wondering what that was going to be like. The Lord gave that to him. Not because he's such a good person, not because he had his life together, not because he never sinned. But the Lord took him home because he was in Christ, because he believed in Jesus Christ, because he trusted Christ as his Savior. In verse 13, the Lord also tells us about the blessing for us who are left behind. Paul says that in him we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we gain possession of it. For Christ's sake, God promises that we too will share in the eternal inheritance. He says we receive the Spirit as a guarantee, it's a down payment, it's a deposit that one day we also will be taken into glory. And the Spirit, he prepares us for that. He gets us ready. He changes us and he makes us into new people. And that's one of the, we spent quite a bit of time here, but that's one of the other blessings that we have in Christ is that the Spirit makes us into these people who are ready to live with Christ and who are able to live for him. I'll just take a few verses, look at a few verses in Colossians. Maybe you want to open your Bible with me. Last part of Colossians 2 and the first verses of Colossians 3. 
Now, the Apostle Paul, he talks a little further about some of the blessings that we have in Christ. And the language he uses here, it's not, it's not that we're in Christ, but he uses the language here in Colossians that we are with Christ. So Colossians 2 verse 20, he introduces this idea. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental of the spirits of the world, why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to their regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And so Paul says here, you died in, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. And that, that language, you died to something, you know, we use that, that language, the sense of finality. You can talk about the death of a hope or the death of a wish. If you, if you have the death of your, your dreams, it means that your dream is over, that it's not going to happen, that you let go of it. If you have the death of a friendship, then it means that the friendship's over. There's a sense of finality about it. Well, that's the language that Paul's using here when he's talking about our old sinful nature and being caught under the power of the, the forces of evil. He says, that's over. That's not who you are anymore. You died to the sinful nature. Since you, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, then don't go back to that. Don't live that kind of a lifestyle anymore. And then he picks up on that in the first verses of chapter 3. The first verses of chapter 3, he, he says there, maybe if I'll start reading at verse 3, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, he says, you died. And again, he's talking to the sinful nature. You died to your old nature, to all the sinful desires that used to have power over you. And he says, instead, he says, that doesn't have power any longer. You, you have died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he had this hidden life. You know, on the outside, there was nothing to him. He's one of the most humble individuals that you ever met. He didn't have any political connections, didn't have any clout with the powers that be. His disciples, it was this ragtag group of followers that went with him wherever he went. You know, by all external appearances, there was nothing to him. But there was a hidden power. And that power broke through. He preached the gospel, and he preached with authority. And the people came to listen to him. And the power came out when he healed the sick, when he cast out demons, when he raised the dead. The people understood that there was something about him. There was a hidden life to Jesus Christ that came out. There was something very special about who he is and what he did. And the Lord Jesus Christ tells us, he says, your life is now also hidden with Christ in God. You also have Christ in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. But when he lives in you, then he strengthens you. And so sometimes you come into these very difficult situations. And God gives you the peace of Christ. You have a loved one who passes away. And God gives you rest in your soul. 
Sometimes when life is hard, you can have a real sense of calm in the midst of it because God carries you through. Christ is in your heart. You can have a growing sense of self-control in areas of your life where you used to be totally out of control. Instead of responding to others with selfishness or anger, you're able, through the power of Christ who is in you, to bear with them and to treat them with kindness and with gentleness. Well, Christ lives in you. That hidden power, it's manifest in your life. Well, do you understand how rich it is to be in Christ, brothers and sisters? In Christ, you are God's adopted, accepted, forgiven child. In Christ, you don't have to fear death. He has a glorious inheritance in store for you. In Christ, you're not on your own. You have the spirit of Jesus living within you. And the spirit of Christ, he makes you into a new person. The power of Christ is within you. And so you're able to respond to situations as he did because he is in you and he helps you to do that. When the apostle John, he, he reflects on this at one point and he breaks out into a song of praise. 1 John, 1, 1 John 3 verse 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. For Christ's sake, God loves you. He adopted you. He cares for you. And he brings you to glory. There is nothing to fear because nothing can separate you from God's love. If you want to get a sense of it, brothers and sisters, next time you read through the New Testament, but I encourage you to pay attention to all the blessings that are yours in Christ. Read through with a view to that and see how many riches your Father has in store for you. And it's really important to do that, brothers and sisters, because when you think of how rich you are in Christ, then you're going to live a very different life than otherwise. Our natural inclination is that we live for ourselves. That's who we are by nature. We're focused on ourselves and what we can get and what we want, what we achieve, who we are. But the beautiful thing of being in Christ is that Christ changes us. You know, sometimes we get beyond ourselves. Sometimes we do it for our loved ones. We want to do something for our friends or for our family. We want to do something for, for other people who we know or love. And that's the first step. That's not a, a selfish thing. But God has something far greater in store for us. The greatest thing is that we do it for Christ. That as we understand how much Christ has loved us and we understand who he is and what he's accomplished for us, that we respond in faith and that we seek to do it for him. And if you do that, you have the best life ever. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What a powerful passage. If you understand how much Christ has done for you, then you're going to love him, and you're going to live for him. If you understand that he died for you, that he gave you the greatest treasure in the world, he restored your relationship with God, then your whole life 
is going to be lit for him. Your heart is going to be filled with love for him. Your life is going to be devoted to service towards him. For the love of Christ controls us. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What does it look like, real life, if you live for Christ? Well, John 14, verse 15, our Lord Jesus Christ was very clear. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You'll do what I say. That's how you can show me how much you love me. You love God so much for the security, for the grace, for the adoption, for the forgiveness, for the future that he gives you, that you just want to do whatever he tells you. Your greatest joy is to delight him, to praise him, to honor him, to glorify him. It's not about you. It's not about your desires. It's not about what you can get. It's about your Lord, who he is, and what he's done. The Apostle Paul, he works it out in a bunch of ways for us real life. He says, for example, in Colossians 3, that slaves should not be people pleasers. They should serve their masters with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He tells them to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you are serving the Lord Christ. Well, it's something that applies to every one of us. When you do your work, it's not for yourself. You don't do it for yourself. It's not for your boss. Don't do it just for your boss in order to make him happy. No, God says you do it for Christ. It is the Lord Christ you are serving in everything that you do. And so do it for Christ. And love him. And show how much you, you're grateful for the gifts of his service. Can you imagine what your life would be like if, if everything you did, you did for Christ? A beautiful book. John Stott, he wrote this book called Life in Christ. I'd like to read with you just a, a few paragraphs. John Stott, he's been busy with this idea for much of his life. He, he died a number of years ago. He was 80 years old. But he, he was busy with this thought for much of his life, and it really comes out in his writings. And so he tells the story of how Samuel Chadwick's life was transformed when he was a child. The minister that day, Reverend Samuel Coley, told a story that if John Newton was a shoeshine, he would be the best shiner of boots in the whole entire village because he would shine them for Jesus Christ. Well, young Samuel Chadwick, he's a 10-year-old, he hears that, he has to sit up in his chair because his job at home was to shine dad's boots. Well, he hated cleaning his dad's Wellingtons. The next morning he had to clean them and he felt a real sense of relief when they were done. But then the preacher's words about cleaning them for the Lord Jesus came back to him. And they really challenged him. And so he wondered what those boots would look like if Jesus Christ was wearing them. And so he grabbed the boots and he did it all over again. And he said later, it was a simple thing to do, but I believe it was the most important thing I ever did in my life. I got into the habit of doing the simplest duties for Jesus Christ. And then John Stott, he reflects on that. He says, it's in the same way, it's possible to sweep a room as if the Lord Jesus were coming to visit. 
A girl was once asked how she knew that she was converted. And she replied, well, you see, I used to sweep the, the dust under the mat, but now I don't. It's possible to visit someone else as if Jesus Christ lived there. It's possible to type a letter as if Jesus Christ were going to read it. To serve a customer as if Jesus Christ had come shopping that day. And to nurse a patient as if Jesus Christ were lying in the bed. It's possible to cook a meal as if we were Martha in the kitchen and the Lord Jesus was the one we were going to serve. Do you want to grow in intimacy with your Lord, brothers and sisters? And whatever you do, do it for Christ. Serve the people around you as if you're serving your Lord and Savior. Because in fact, you are. That's what Christ says, Matthew 25. Whatever you did for the hungry, whatever you did for the thirsty, for the strangers, for those needing clothes, for those who are sick or those who are in prison, you did it for me. And so far as you look after the people around you, brothers and sisters, you're not only serving them, you're serving the Lord Jesus. What a kindness of our Lord Jesus. He gives us a very explicit way in which we can show him how much we love him. And what a beautiful way of setting it up. He says, if you do it for others, you do it for your husband, you do it for your wife, you do it for your kids, you do it for your brothers and sisters, you do it for your boss, you do it for the little kid on the street. And so far as you do it for them, you do it for me. And so you get to love the people around you as you love Christ. And you show him how much you love him. And you show them the love of Christ. And so God set up the world that we can love him. And we can serve him. And in the meantime, we get to be bound together in love and service for each other. The greatest gift you have is that you are in Christ Jesus. You belong to him. He loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. He rescued you from your sins. He guides and directs your life according to his wisdom to give you exactly what you need. And he's going to bring you into glory. Do you understand how much he loves you? And do you realize that he will always be there for you? He calls you to live with him now. Don't restrict your spiritual life to Sundays or to church or to the times when you read the Bible or to when you do Bible study. But welcome him into every moment, into every decision of your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit makes Christ real to you every day and seek his face in every situation that you face, in all the troubles and all the joys, in all the work, in all the relationships. And as you pray to him about all the circumstances of your life, then gradually you'll more and more realize how he's present every day in every circumstance with you. You'll see him in and behind others. You'll treat them as you treat him. Then the one, then as one who is in Christ, 
you'll see Christ in you. Amen. Let's give thanks to God for the riches of his grace in Christ. We're going to praise him. We're going to sing together from Psalm 17, the verses 1 and 6. upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you, Lord, that you're a God who sent his Son into this world in order to restore relationship between you and us. We honor you that Jesus Christ willingly came down to this earth, that he took upon himself true human nature, that he suffered and died for all our sins, that he rose into heaven and is seated at your right hand. We honor you that for Christ's sake, that you're willing to continue in a relationship with us, that you've adopted us as sons and daughters into your family. We thank you, Lord, that we may be in Christ. We ask, Father, that you would give us great faith in our Lord Jesus. Help us to understand how much you love us and help us to appreciate how much you've done for us in Christ. Help us to realize that we're not on our own, but that you are our God and that we are your children, and that you love us, and that you're going to look out for us. 
and help us, Lord, to respond to that love. Grant that as we understand how rich we are in Christ, that we rely upon him in every circumstance in our lives. We pray, Lord, that with your Holy Spirit, that you would live powerfully in our hearts, that we flee from sin. Sin had no power over Christ. And so you can tell us in the, in the writings of John that sin has no power over us either because we are in Christ. Lord, we pray that we may live that way, that we may live to your glory and to your honor. Help us to, to be compelled by your love, that we wish to, to love you and that we want to show that to you in everything that we do. Lord, please help us to put to death the selfish nature that is within us. Grant that as we contemplate the love that you've shown us in Christ, that we seek to do everything we can for Christ. Lord, please grant that we may serve the people around us as if serving our Lord Jesus. Give us eyes to see that those people who need our help are ways in which we can show your love and show our love for you. Grant that we may serve the people before us as a way of honoring you and showing you our gratitude for the riches of your grace. Dear Lord, we, we pray that, that in this way, that you would not only bind us close to you, but that you also bind us close to each other. Thank you that we may be members of one another. We're so grateful that we can be a part of your church and that you give us to each other in love. And we pray that we may live that way. Where there is selfishness and where there is sin, Lord, please help us to put it away from ourselves. Give us humility that we consider others better than ourselves and that we seek to serve each other in love. Dear Father, this is your work. And we thank you and we honor you for that. And we pray that we may live as Christ did. Dear Lord, we, we pray then, as we do so, that we're not only a blessing to each other, but also that we may be a light to this world. We ask that through our actions, that we show great kindness to many people around us, as Christ showed kindness to many others. And we pray then, Lord, that other people may realize that there is a different spirit living within us, and that others may, may want to know what that is. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this to bring many people to faith in you, and that you would gather your church, you take many people from the world around us to know you and to love you and to walk with you. Lord, we thank you for the many gifts, that you, the many guests that you bring to us. And we want to pray that you would be near to them, that you assist them with your Holy Spirit, that they may grow in faith in our Lord Jesus. We want to ask you, Father, that you would also help us to disciple them. Give us good words to say that we're able to open your word together, that we can point their attention to who Christ is and to what he has done, so that they may realize how rich they are in Christ. Please grant that they may put their faith in him and that they too may share in his eternal glory. Dear Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you will gather all your people to yourself. And we pray that you, you make this happen also through us. We thank you that this afternoon that we're able to take a collection for the work of the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary we want to pray, Lord, for your blessing over the work that's done there. We're so thankful that we can cooperate together as churches in the education of the next generation of ministers, and we want to ask your blessing over them. Father, please be with the professors. Please give them strength and wisdom and endurance. They're coming near to the, to the end of another semester, and so we pray that you would assist the young men, that they can write the papers that they need to get done, and that they're able to, 
begin to prepare for the final exams. Grant that you would use this education for their growth in faith and an understanding of how to rightly handle the word of truth so that another generation of ministers may grow up to preach the gospel and that your people may be gathered into your church. Father, we pray for protection, for spiritual protection for those who are at seminary. We ask that you put a hedge around them, that you keep them safe from Satan's attacks. We pray for wisdom and humility and faithfulness for the professors. We pray for endurance and strength for the students. Please grant your blessing to them. Shine your face upon them. Grant that they may have much joy in working together and grant that, that in the end this leads to good ends. Dear Father in heaven, we, we thank you that we can share in that work and we pray for your blessing also upon our collections. We ask that you take care of us in the coming week, Lord. Please keep sin and evil far away from us. Give us much joy in everything that we do and please grant that we can live with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to serve God with your thank offerings, and the collection will be for the work of the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together, and it says here we're singing Psalm 17, the verses 1 and 6, and actually, I'd like to sing the verses 3 and 6. The context here is that the man is, David is really being persecuted, and then he seeks his help in God, and he speaks about the unity that he has together with God, the joy that he has in God's presence. So we're going to sing Psalm 17, the verses 3 and 6, not 1 and 6. Thank you.
lift up your hearts to the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.